from KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, our scorching heat wave is worsening wildfires and straining the state's power grid. Governor Gavin Newsom has declared a state of emergency as some 30 wildfires burn across the state. The brutal heat is expected to continue through at least today. We want to know how the triple whammy of extreme temperatures, wildfires, or power outages have affected you. First, though, we'll check in with Southern California Congressman Adam Schiff on the status of the next coronavirus relief bill, efforts to address the crisis at the U.S. Postal Service, and the Senate Intelligence Committee's just-released final report on Russian interference in the 2016 election. That's all next on Forum. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Pressure is mounting in the House to vote on a bill to reinstate the extra $600 per week unemployment benefit as talks with Republicans on a next coronavirus relief bill have stalled. Meantime, Democrats are expected to vote Saturday on a cash infusion for the U.S. Postal Service. And yesterday, the Senate Intelligence Committee released its final bipartisan report on Russian interference in the 2016 election, though the two parties reached somewhat different conclusions. To discuss all this, we're joined now by Los Angeles Congressman Adam Schiff. Congressman Schiff, thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be with you. There is this group of House Democrats pushing Speaker Nancy Pelosi to vote on a a smaller bill on the extra $600 per week unemployment benefit this weekend. I mean, as you know, these enhanced unemployment insurance benefits ended at the end of last month. Do you support this effort since it appears that talks with Republicans are really not going anywhere currently? Well, I think Speaker Pelosi is uh, one of the best negotiators there is, so I will let her uh, devise the negotiating strategy. But the unemployment compensation benefits need to be extended. Uh, Indeed, we passed a bill three months ago to do exactly that uh, through the end of the year. Um, This uh, this, train wreck that we're in uh, of inaction right now uh, is the result of the fact that Mitch McConnell kept that bill blocked for three months and didn't move a bill of his own. Uh, Basically, wanted to, I think, create this crisis uh, to uh, change his bargaining position. That's a terrible disservice to the millions of Americans who really need this unemployment compensation. Uh, But it's not just about unemployment compensation. It's small businesses still struggling. It's states and cities that are going to have to lay off public health workers and other emergency responders. Uh, And it's renters who are going to get foreclosed upon. So I don't think we can treat any one of these problems in isolation. We really need to address all of them. Yes, but at this point, I mean, the bill put forward is more than $3 trillion. Republicans have proposed a $1 trillion. I mean, that's pretty far apart. Do you know anything about plans to start discussions again that that we don't know yet? Well, I hope that there are back-channel discussions going on uh, all along. Um, But we have to recognize the, the reality in Mitch McConnell's GOP conference in the Senate is that I think half of the senators there don't want to do anything at all. Uh, And this is the problem. Half of the GOP senators don't recognize that Americans are in need or believe that the federal government should assist. Now, these same senators support a $2.2 trillion tax cut that benefited uh, very wealthy families and large corporations. They apparently believe we had the resources to do that, but don't believe that we have the resources to help renters or the unemployed or small businesses struggling to survive. 
I, I think that's unconscionable, but it does show you just how far apart we are. Well, the House is returning Saturday to vote on a bill to fund the U.S. Postal Service. I know that you've been hearing from a lot of constituents about this. I mean, I saw that you tweet that you received more than 4,000 emails and calls about the USPS. What are constituents worried about? Well, they're worried about the degradation in service that they're experiencing already and, and potentially worse to come. There are small business people who rely on the mail to deliver uh, packages to their customers. And now these packages are being delayed. Their customers are complaining. It's not cost effective for them to use the private carriers. Uh, so they're worried about uh, their uh, business survival. Uh, veterans who can't get timely prescriptions filled from the VA uh, and others in rural areas that are worried about, um, and this is outside of my district, but uh, in rural areas, they're worried about the service uh, really degrading uh, because of these efforts to essentially run the post office like a business. Well, those rural routes are not profitable, uh, and they're likely going to be the, the ones to suffer the most. So then you do support the $25 billion cash infusion? Absolutely. And again, this was something that we passed uh, months ago in the House that we're going to take up yet again. I hope that it will have uh, more support uh, among Republicans this time. Uh, it, you know, I think, you know, all the members of Congress, uh, House and Senate and the president are getting an earful, uh, as they should from Americans around the country who really appreciate their postal service. Uh, it's some of the common glue that's held this country together uh, and people are completely uh, reliant on it. Uh, many, many families are. And so I think the president is getting a sense now, and I hope uh, the Republicans in Congress also, that they made a, a serious mistake in attacking the Postal Service, uh, an even more serious mistake in doing it for the reason of trying to disenfranchise millions of people from voting. So enough pressure to sway Senate Republicans? Well, I hope so. It, it's certainly been enough pressure to sway the president and the Postmaster General, at least in the very near term. Uh, the postmaster uh, announcing a retreat from these disastrous changes that he was implementing, which were delaying mail deliveries during the pandemic and, and in the run up to the first election we've had in a century uh, during a pandemic. So they, they, the public protest has been effective, but it's not like we can afford a, a lack of vigilance here. The president nonetheless continues his daily attacks on voting by mail, something that he himself just apparently did, but doesn't think other Americans uh, should have equal access to. But are you satisfied that those, that that promise by Postmaster General DeJoy that uh, he will suspend those operational changes until after the 2020 election, does that satisfy you in terms of the agency's ability now to respond that there won't be you know, anything funny going on with the USPS, you've called for the Postmaster General to resign. I mean, do you still stand by that? I certainly do, uh, you know, and I think he should resign for several reasons. I think the changes that he implemented during the pandemic and in the run-up to this election have been disastrous for the Postal Service. They were eminently foreseeable. And because they were so eminently foreseeable, I, I think you have to uh, recognize that this has been done quite deliberately. Um, and this is a person whose primary qualification to be postmaster was being a mega donor to Donald Trump. Um, he has a conflict of interest in that he owns a significant uh, uh, share in uh, rival shipping services. So just the conflicts alone, but aggravated by these disastrous actions 
uh, and his, you know, uh, donor and political uh, affiliations to the president, uh, I, I think, are enough to disqualify him. And we would be much better served by someone with the technocratic expertise to really help the Postal Service right now. Uh, but um, I don't think simply a freeze is enough because much damage has already been done. The sorting machines need to go back online. The, bo the boxes need to be put back in place to make sure that uh, we go back to at least uh, the situation in January. Well, then how concerned are you about our election integrity and our election security? I, I'm very concerned about this. And, you know, uh, this comes from someone who has spent much of the last several years uh, examining the efforts by foreign nations to interfere and try to decide uh, who our president should be. That danger is real. The Russians are once again interfering uh, to try to denigrate, this time Joe Biden, but once again to try to help elect Donald Trump. And for reasons that are all tragically too easy to understand, he has been a great gift to the Russians and their interests. Uh, but at the same time, the greater threat that concerns me is the threat from within, uh, from a president who is seeking to discredit the votes of millions of people in advance, uh, saying that the outcome is going to be rigged, questioning whether we're going to have to do a do-over election, uh, all because he thinks he's going to lose. And, you know, this is the first president who, in advance, is trying to discredit our own democracy because of, of fear that he will lose. And that danger of creating chaos after the election um, concerns me more than anything else right now. We're speaking to Congressman Adam Schiff about the crisis at the Postal Service and accusations that the Trump administration is trying to sabotage mail-in voting. We're also talking about the next coronavirus relief bill. And also, we're inviting you, our listeners, to join us with your questions. For Congressman Schiff, call us at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. He's with us for this half hour, so the time to call is now. You can also reach us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And of course, Congressman Schiff, yesterday the Senate uh, Intelligence Committee released its final report on Russian interference in the 2016 election, where they also make clear that efforts are going on this time unabated as well. But I do want to ask you about your reaction to that report, which in many ways did affirm many of the findings of the Mueller report, but uh, revealed sort of divergent views of what it really meant in terms of President Trump's campaign, his campaign's involvement with um, Russian actors. For example, you know, the New York Times pointed out that the Republican appendix to the report said that uh, after more than three years of investigations by this committee, we can now say with no doubt that there was no collusion, while a Democratic uh, appendix basically you know, really went into the ties between Paul Manafort, the campaign chairman, and his relationship with a Russian intelligence officer, uh, and possibly that intelligence officer's role in hacking the DNC, and that the conclusion they wrote was, this is what collusion looks like. So where are we supposed to be left as the public in terms of understanding this comprehensive investigation? You know, I think where we're, where we're left really is with a good appreciation for the facts of what happened, um, that the Trump campaign invited Russia to uh, involve itself in the election. They welcomed that assistance. Uh, they went out of their way to obtain it. 
Um, they built it into their campaign and messaging plan. They lied about it to cover it up. Um, and, you know, in its most graphic form, you had the president's son and campaign manager and son-in-law having a secret meeting with a Russian delegation to get dirt on Hillary Clinton as part of what the Russians described as their government's effort to help the Trump campaign. And maybe even more pointedly, the campaign manager for the Trump campaign, Paul Manafort, meeting secretly with someone that the Senate report acknowledges was a Russian intelligence agent, providing that Russian intelligence agent internal polling data on their campaign while that agent's country, Russia, was engaged in a social media campaign and hacking operation to help the Trump campaign. Um, those are the facts which both Republicans and Democrats agreed to in that report. And that's striking. And that, I think, to most Americans looks exactly like collusion. Again, we're talking with Congressman Adam Schiff, and we'll get to your questions and comments about what we've been discussing for the last 20 minutes or so. After the break, I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking to Congressman Adam Schiff about the Senate Intelligence Committee's report on Russian election interference, the federal pandemic response, the crisis at the Postal Service, all of it. And we're talking with you, our listeners, 866-733-6786. Email forum at kqed.org or reach us on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum. This listener tweets, there were criminal referrals to the Department of Justice for numerous Trump-associated individuals and Barr blocked them. Will Congress be able to give the people the justice they deserve? Congressman Schiff. Well, not in the sense that the question uh, implies, which is the Congress doesn't have the power to prosecute people. That is only something that the Justice Department can do uh, now, if there is a change in administration and a new Justice Department, uh, that new Justice Department will have to look at uh, these allegations of criminality of people, uh, for example, that the Senate uh, evidently referred uh, for perjury prosecutions, uh, as indeed uh, we did in the House Intelligence Committee. They'll look, have to look at other issues, too. Uh, for example, the president has been identified as individual number one in an indictment in the Southern District of New York. Uh, for a campaign fraud scheme, a hush money fraud scheme, in which Michael Cohen was sent to jail. And the new Justice Department will have to decide what's the argument for sending someone to jail who was coordinated and directed in this fraud scheme, but not sending to jail the person who did the coordinating and did the directing according to that indictment. Uh, so there may very well be accountability in the next Justice Department. Uh, what Congress can do is expose the wrongdoing. We can refer uh, people or individuals that we believe have committed criminal activity to the Justice Department, but ultimately we don't have that power to prosecute. Well, Greg writes, Representative Schiff, I thought your work during the impeachment trial was quite excellent. However, in your closing arguments, I really, really wish you had framed that infamous phone call to the Ukrainian leader as the last straw in tolerating Trump's corruption, lies, and abuse of power. I mean, there was also quite a few connections between the investigation into 2016 election interference and 
a connection drawn with with Ukraine, especially through this Russian intelligence officer. Were you surprised to see that? Um, you know, I certainly wasn't surprised to see it. Um, you know, we in the House have had access to um, the same intelligence as the Senate, uh, but uh, I'm glad that they were able to make as much public as they have. But I do think that your question, uh, and I appreciate the listener's comment, um, gets to a very important fact, which is this is a pattern with the president uh, of inviting foreign interference in the case of Russia and then make full use of it and lying about it, trying to coerce another country, Ukraine, into helping his campaign and then lying and covering that up, uh, and apparently even begging China's President Xi, according to John Bolton, for China to help uh, his campaign. Uh, even today, though, as the Russians once again interfere, uh, the president downplays it, calls essentially all this a hoax. Uh, and some of what the Senate report reveals in terms of Russia through Ukraine pushing out this false narrative that it wasn't Russia that interfered in 2016, it was Ukraine that interfered. That narrative has been pushed by Republican members of Congress. Uh, and now that it's revealed that that's a narrative that began with the Kremlin, I hope it puts people on notice in Congress and elsewhere that when they advance that uh, false argument, they're really advancing a Kremlin narrative. Mm. Well, and it makes us concerned really about, even though the bipartisan report calls for much more to be done to prevent foreign interference, that it doesn't sound like it's having much effect on the president in your view. Anyway, let me go to calls George in San Jose. Hi, George. Hello, thank you for, your, for the service to your country, Congressman. Uh, if the Trump administration uh, delays, purposely delays the mail, then it seems like the Trump administration should pay the late fees associated with the, with the you know, because if, if I don't get my mail in time, then I can't pay my bills on time. Uh, is there any legislative movement in that direction? Thanks, George. Uh, you know, I, do, I thank you for the question. I don't think that I've seen any legislative uh, actions in this area, but um, it was just uh, acknowledged that I think 20 state attorney generals are bringing suit um, for, I think, part, in part the reasons that you're uh, indicating, which is that these decisions uh, to degrade the Postal Service um, are going to impede the state's ability to conduct their elections, but also going to take a real toll on businesses and individuals through late fees, through lost customers, lost business. Uh, so I think that those issues may, I haven't seen the complaints to, to be filed by the attorney generals yet, but those issues I hope would be raised as well as you know the life and death issue concerning those that are getting their prescriptions by mail, including a tremendous number of veterans. Well, Deborah and Ventura join us. Hi, Deborah. Yes, thank you. Um, Vice President Gore had to defend himself for ultimately accepting the results of the presidential election he won but lost. Um, and I wonder if he did so on grounds of the peaceful transfer of power. Could you speak to the importance of the peaceful transfer of power in a democracy? Deborah, thanks. Well, that's a really good, good point. And it does highlight, I think, the dangerous moment that we're in. I was elected in 2000, so I was elected during that race and remembered quite well. Uh, and what, what made the peaceful transition possible was that not just Al Gore accepting this Supreme Court decision as flawed as it was, and you'll remember it was a five to four decision in which the Supreme Court abandoned its prior precedent uh, to reach the result it did. 
nonetheless, Al Gore accepted it. And much of the country, though it didn't like the Supreme Court decision and thought it was flawed, ultimately accepted it as well. And are we in an environment now where that would be the case? Uh, the, the Supreme Court itself, I think, is viewed with a much greater degree of skepticism uh, than it was 20 years ago. Uh, and the Bush v. Gore decision, frankly, added to that skepticism. Um, but, uh, but more than that, you now have a president telegraphing once again that he won't potentially accept the result if he loses. Uh, and this was a president, of course, that even when he won, at least won the Electoral College, claimed that millions of people undocumented uh, had illegally voted, which was nonsense, uh, dangerous, malicious nonsense. So if he's going to make those false statements in an election in which he wins, you can imagine what he will do and say in an election in which he loses. And that, that peaceful transition of power is threatened. Uh, I'm not particularly worried that the president's going to call out the military and that the military would obey that kind of an unconstitutional uh, dictate. Uh, but I am worried about the chaos that he could create uh, if he refuses to acknowledge the results of the election. And here's where the foreign co countries come in. Russia could very well choose to amplify the president's false statements about the election uh, and do their part to sow further disorder and chaos. Uh, and that really does concern me. And it really is a concern of our listeners. I'm seeing several comments and calls coming in about this question of whether if he wins by corruption or refuses to step down. I mean, what is Congress prepared to do in that kind of situation? Do you know what options do exist or even to address as what you're saying, the, the chaos that can ensue? <laughs> you know, looking the, into that I, I would... Mm -hmm. I would love to give you a very reassuring answer here, but the, the, the truth of the matter is we would be in completely uncharted territory. Um, if there was a contested result um, and, uh, and none of us want to see that take place, what, what I would urge listeners is the way to avoid that situation, which is, of course, the best outcome, is to make sure that every American who's eligible to vote, registered to vote, and that they do vote. Uh, and those that are going to vote by mail, they vote early. Um, that's the best guarantee of a uh, peaceful transition, which is an overwhelming result. And in my view and hope, an overwhelming repudiation of Donald Trump and everything he stands for. But uh, that, that is within our power uh, to do. Uh, if, if that doesn't come to pass and we have a close and contested finish, uh, if the ballots are still being counted uh, when we get to those constitutional deadlines uh, and states uh, through their party apparatus choose electors, uh, notwithstanding how the votes are, are coming in, uh, there is no good playbook for that. Uh, and so every effort must be taken to avoid that contingency, which is why we're fighting so hard to strengthen the Postal Service, make sure those ballots are promptly delivered and promptly returned. Uh, and we can all do our part by making sure that we vote early uh, so that the Postal Service isn't overwhelmed or inundated uh, and that we call attention to any uh, funny business that takes place at polling places. Well, I know you need to leave us, but I do want to ask you this one question from a listener, which hits a little closer to home. This listener writes, Miles Taylor, a former chief of staff at the Department of Homeland Security, said this week that President Trump tried to withhold disaster relief money from California for the wildfires because we're a blue state with wildfires raging again. Are you concerned, Congressman Schiff, about getting federal help or how can you assuage this listener's concerns? 
Well, you know, I am concerned about it. Indeed, uh, one of the listeners brought up the impeachment trial. Uh, I posed a hypothetical during the impeachment trial of whether, you know, governors during disasters could get relief or whether the president would say, well, uh, I have a favor, though. Um, this was actually brought up by Professor Kaplan originally in the House hearing. Uh, and sadly, we've seen that come to pass. Um, according to this former Homeland Security chief of staff that you mentioned, um, the reason why he was withholding uh, support from California during the fires is that California didn't support him or he felt they weren't sufficiently grateful or, or uh, politically, it was politically advantageous to help California. Uh, we've seen this in the allocation of protective gear and the president admitting openly that why should he call back governors of states like Michigan that aren't saying nice things about him. And I think the implication is nice things that he can use in campaign ads. So sadly, we've seen this president is nothing but transactional. Uh, it's all about what's in it for him. And in terms of what's in it for the country, that just doesn't matter very much. And the final point I'll make is when Katrina struck, I didn't ask whether Texas or Louisiana were red states or blue states. It didn't matter. They were Americans who were hurting. That's been my attitude. It's, I think, been most, uh, you know, members' attitudes and presidents. You're the president of all the United States. Uh, and, and as members of Congress, we represent the interests of all Americans. But that's not how this president sees things. Los Angeles Congressman Adam Schiff, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. And thanks so much to our listeners for their questions and comments. We'll be talking more wildfires in just a moment. Stay with us.